This podcast is a 3D audio production, so watch out as sounds may seem to come from beside you or behind you. For the best listening experience, please use headphones. I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Realm presents Orphan Black, the next chapter, season two. Starring Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brune. Episode five. At first, Vivi couldn't see in the dim building. Instinctually, she snapped up her arm, broke her attacker's grip on her wrist, and slammed her palm into their face, <coughs> sending them tumbling into a pile of linens. Oh, holy shit! Felix? What the hell are you doing here? Knocking the Kool-Aid out of your hand, I hope. My God. Oh, plush. Do all cult members get 1,000 GSM towels? What's that weed I smell? Mugwort, I think. Mugwort spa towels. I feel my third eye opening. Felix hauled himself up and looked around the room. Vivi followed his gaze as her eyes adjusted to the dimness. Odd-looking commode chairs sat in a circle, lit by soothing pink orbs. Water trickled from a fountain on the wall. What in the new age hell? You get massaged during a bowel movement on this island? Probably, but those are for vaginal steams. Well, I'll tell everyone back at home to stop worrying and envy you instead. Vivi was shocked. The judgmental, overbearing Canadian clone club were worried about her? After running off into a wintry forest, she hadn't checked in with them once, not even with a dry email, and neither side had made an effort to change that. Why would they be worried about me? Arun called, wondering if we'd heard from you. Vivi's stomach fluttered. 
Arun was worried too? That was surprising. They weren't as close after the tag weapon bullshit, and she figured he probably got sick of her complaining about being pulled from the field. She also assumed her cloneness was a turnoff, but maybe she was wrong. He knows I'm on vacation. Well, apparently the vacation was what set off alarm bells. He knew you were looking into Blythe. <sighs> Fucking Arun. There was only one way he could know that. He broke into her place and looked through her shit. Her stomach locked back up. Was Arun babysitting her for the agency? I think he's worried you're draped in puka shells preaching about self-actualization through crystal suppositories. He thinks I bought into this shit? We're not sure he knew what to think. Now that I'm here, I think you're just a luxury whore. Is that why you're here? You thought I needed rescuing? Blythe commissioned me to paint a cloning mural. She led me to believe it was part of a new messaging campaign to help change the public attitude toward clones, and I almost fell for it. But Blythe's been smearing my family on TV, and Arun had suspicions about a connection to a bunch of disappearing clones, you included. I came here to see what I could find out. Tell them I don't need anyone checking on me. They'll break my cover. It was a partial lie. She hadn't come here officially, or as an officer, or with an agenda. But now that she was uncovering what Blythe was up to, everything was different. Wait, is this a CIA thing? Then why did Arun call us? Wouldn't he know what you're up to? No, it's classified. Blythe's got sway over these people. I'm trying to figure out how and why. Vivi cringed. Normally she was a better liar, but the meddling from the Canadian clones in Arun was fucking her up. Yeah, she's really waving the clone flag and she might have something else brewing. She's been asking about Delphine's pregnancy. Delphine is pregnant? Why would Blythe care about that? Well, I didn't wonder about that until later, and I feel like a right idiot now for telling her as much as I did. It's Cosima's baby. Genetically. I have no idea how she even knew about it in the first place. What is she really after? Well, I was hoping you'd have that answer, Secret Agent Valdez. I'm working on it. Well, tell me how I can help. Actually, there's something I think we should do. Shannon! I heard voices. Everything okay? Yeah. Felix used a vaginal steam chair like a toilet, and I thought it was broken when it didn't flush. Oh, jeez. Yeah, sorry. But it was the most soothing BM I've had in years, if that matters. I feel utterly cleansed, rejuvenated even. Blythe's moving on to another segment in her talk. You won't want to miss it, Vivi. Definitely not. Vivi exchanged a glance with Felix as she followed Shannon back to the gathering, hoping he would keep cool until she figured out what she was going to do about this fucked up situation. It's even possible that non-pregnant partners may have symptoms too. That's a sympathetic pregnancy. Some of you might feel nausea or experience weight gain. The childbirth educator beamed reassuringly at the eight slightly nervous couples arranged in a semicircle before her. It wasn't a large class, but the couples in it were of various ages and walks of life. At 35, Delphine was considered a geriatric pregnancy. She preferred the term advanced maternal age. Many people were successfully having kids past 40 these days, so how could 35 be geriatric? A husband with a neatly trimmed beard became animated at the mention of sympathetic weight gain. Oh yeah, this guy right here, 20 pounds. <laughs> mm, 10-ish for me. 
The husband didn't even glance at Cosima. It was kind of rude in Delphine's opinion, but maybe he was shy or nervous. Delphine was about to start her last trimester and worry was creeping in. She and Cosima had read every pregnancy book under the sun and discussed all the stages in excruciating detail. But the reality of giving birth, actually pushing a small human out of her body, was fast approaching, and preparation hadn't eradicated her deep-seated fear. She hadn't said it aloud, but it was starting to feel like a massive disaster was imminent. Like a hurricane was about to sweep through her life, and she was blindly preparing for it. So she obsessively organized the house, and fretted over perfecting the nursery daily. When she refolded all the baby clothes for the fifth time, Cosima suggested doing a one-day blast class on childbirth to get grounded, and it had been a brilliant idea. Being with other couples in their situation was reassuring. Now, things to expect right after your child is born. Babies born before term may be covered in fine, unpigmented hair called lanugo. It can look like thick fur. The educator flashed a picture of a very hairy newborn on a giant screen behind her. Cosima leaned closer to Delphine. Oh, badass. A fur baby. I want one. Don't worry. The hair goes away on its own. Ah, too bad. Delphine giggled. Cosima was trying to relax her, and she loved her for it. The educator clicked to another slide. A baby with an oblong head popped up on screen. Another thing to prepare for is the head. It can come out with a cone-like shape, which can look alarming, but it's normal. Plates in the baby's head shift to help them fit through the birth canal. Leaning over to whisper to Cosima, Delphine noticed the bearded husband staring at them. His eyes darted back down to his pamphlet. Conehead freaking you out? Because again, it's kind of cool. No, it's, it's nothing. Something about that man rubbed Delphine the wrong way, but maybe she was just being paranoid. Her growing belly had made sleeping hard, and the swelling in her extremities was putting her on edge. Or maybe she was just hangry and projecting it on him. After the lunch break, Delphine was on all fours in a tabletop position, arching and curving her back in a pelvic tilt exercise. Cosima was at her side, gently rubbing her. Cat... Cow. Cat. Cow. There. Doesn't it already help the pain? Hmm. I love you in this position. Which? Cat or cow? Both. (laughs) All right. Now the double hip squeeze. Super effective on contractions during birth. Partners, this is where the coach gets hands on. Mothers, remember cleansing breaths. As instructed, Cosima got behind Delphine, straddled her feet, and put her hands on the crest of both hips. Delphine could feel Cosima's hands gently slide up her sides, releasing pressure. It was just what she needed. I think I'll add this to my massage repertoire. s'il te plaît. Delphine cracked open her eyes to gaze at her wife and saw the bearded husband across the room whisk away his phone. He had been angling it right at them. Excuse me, what are you doing? Who, me? You were pointing your phone at us. No, I wasn't. You were, and it's making me uncomfortable. 
Well, if we're talking uncomfortable, having a clone in this class is making me and my wife uncomfortable. Maybe let your wife speak for herself. Then she looked over and noticed his wife was scowling at them too. Great, two to deal with. Couples began to shift in their seats. Okay, five minute break. You should really issue a warning when a clone is going to be in this class, because if I had known, I wouldn't have driven all the way out here. Sir, I don't understand what the problem is. The man pointed at Kasima and sneered. This is the problem. You allowed it into this sacred space, and now my wife can't focus. Kasima sat, eyes trained on the wall, expressionless. Being harangued on TV seemed to have taught her to turn off, or she was now desensitized to assaults. But Delphine wasn't there yet. It was hard enough being a same-sex couple having a child. Everyone had an opinion or begrudgingly held one back. Now they had to deal with people angry about them having a clone baby? (laughs) Screw that. She wielded what Cosima called her super sneer at the man's wife. A bigot is going to raise your child. Je suis désolée pour toi. Don't. We didn't come here for this. Excuse me? I'm not a bigot. I'm just saying what everybody else is probably thinking in this room. Sir, maybe you should leave. The man whipped out his phone and started recording. Us leave? No way! We paid for this! That freak and their freak pregnancy should leave! They shouldn't be in a class about natural childbirth. They're the furthest thing from natural. Delphine's face flushed with rage. She whipped a yoga ball at the bearded oaf, who managed to keep his camera on her as it hit him. Connor! See? They're also insane! That's assault! Clearly unharmed, he kept his phone on Delphine, who was now panting with fury. Come on, Delphine, we don't need this shit. Plus, we already know all this stuff. Cosima grabbed Delphine's hand and walked her out. On the car ride home, Delphine was disappointed with her outburst. But she couldn't help herself. That oaf was a rude reminder that their battle for respect in this world was far from over and that it would only carry on for their child. Their kid was part of the Lita genome, and idiots would single them out for it, without reason, without knowing anything about genetics, just based on prejudice. You're cool as a cucumber in there. How? (sighs) This is becoming our everyday. I can get fired up every time, or I can focus on what's important. You, me, and our baby. So... How about we just do that? Focus on what matters and breathe through this. Despite what had just happened, Cosima was still coaching her crestfallen wife, being strong for both of them. Delphine's love for her swelled. She took Cosima's instruction and breathed. Suddenly, she wasn't as nervous anymore. In theory, she had always known she wasn't alone in this, but now she really felt it. She had the calmest partner and labor coach she could have asked for. Delphine couldn't imagine having this baby with anyone else. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, It's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. 
from Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Crap, Lisa. Helena was set on finding Felix, but wasn't happy to be back in Miami. The last time she was here, she was a very different person. Someone she didn't like. She didn't have children, or sestras, and she wasn't meathead. She was the original, sent to find and kill all her copies. Tomas had tasked her with hunting down leaders around the world, some of which were in the United States. Miami had been her illegal entry point to the country. Beth Childs in Toronto was the top leader on her list, so she worked her way up the East Coast to Canada. Some Florida stone crab would make being back in the city more pleasurable, so Helena went straight from the airport to a hundred-year-old restaurant famed for it and ordered a meal for four to go. Mmm, she was right. Crab did make things better. Waiting at a marina for her contact, Helena smashed the claws, peeled off the shell, mm. and savored the flaky sweet meat. The takeout menu said these shellfish were a sustainable and renewable food source. Fishermen caught and pulled off the large claw on each crab, then threw them back into the Gulf of Mexico, where they regrew the harvested limbs. Impressive little sea spiders. On the horizon, she spotted a trawler puttering toward her over the blue-green water. The man she'd been waiting for stepped off and strode down the dock. Helena, Helena, Helena. Marco, sorry, I didn't save you any crabs. I think I owe you dinner. Just dinner? Marco, I saved your life. Pongetayesh? How could I forget? Marco had smuggled her into Florida on his boat. The trip had been relatively smooth until they neared Colombia. Smugglers determined to end Marco's career, boarded their vessel, and held them at gunpoint. 
Helena single-handedly took down the four armed rivals, sending them to the bottom of the ocean in a fishing net, then sinking their boat to cover it up. I want the boat for one week. For fishing. Fishing? This my meditation. Are you moving drugs? Please, I am writer now. Famous. You can see me on TV talking about books. I did. Your tour looked pretty rough. Lots of angry people, Elena. This way I fish and meditate. How much for both? Though he didn't buy her story, Marco quit it with the questions. He knew what Helena was capable of. He offered her a battered, unregistered trawler free of charge. Whatever you're up to, please don't let it come back and bite me in the ass, huh? Your ass will be fine. The next morning, Helena grabbed coffee and a box of guava, cheese, and beef pastelitos, then fired up the trawler. She tried Felix on her satellite phone. Still no answer. He could be in deep trouble. Helena punched the coordinates for Blythe's Island into the GPS. She was sailing out into the Caribbean Sea like a pirate. Yo ho ho, bottles of rum. Watching the Miami shoreline shrink as the trawler glided away, Helena realized the city had been the beginning of her journey to healing and regrowth. Ultimately, she was grateful. This place led to meeting Sarah and her other Sestras. This place brought her a family. After she was finished with this blithe person, she would take little Donnie and Arthur here to taste and learn about the resilient crabs they would learn about life, about the Sestras. We are crabs. Ow! Ah! Illegal move! Little Arthur had tackled him and pinched his gut. Hard. This sent little Don into uncontrollable giggles. <laughs> Mato's sister are no illegal moves in wrestling. Well, Uncle Donnie says that's bull, and wrestle time is over. Little Don jumped off his bed and put the grown man in a very tight headlock. Wrestle time is forever. Uncle, can't breathe. Find a way out. Be strong, like ox. Donnie thrashed around but couldn't escape their grip. Things were starting to go purple. Sparks appeared in his eyes. In bed, you little fart knockers. Donnie, really? They were supposed to be asleep an hour ago. The boys released their uncle who sucked in as much oxygen as he could manage. The kids slid into their beds, no arguments. Hobbling to the master bedroom, Donnie collapsed and scrolled through fan messages. They were getting more salacious. Daddy Donnie can clean my pipes anytime, read one caption under a screen capture of the Clones at Home episode where he snaked their bathroom sink. Ooh, holy majoli, this was heating up. Allie was going to hate that, especially after the clone kiss incident in the kitchen. He scrolled to see a fan selfie in a very low-cut top with his face printed on it across her boobs. Donnie lingered on the pic. What's up? Donnie dropped his phone a little too quickly. Oh, you know, uh, just some fan stuff. No, I don't know, actually. Show me. Allison lay down beside him. She was trying to be casual about it but Donnie could feel something boiling beneath her surface. Oh, it's not, it, uh, it really isn't. Oh, come on, Donnie, I'm just curious. Reluctantly, Donnie held the screen toward his wife and scrolled through the messages and pics. 
Wow, that one with the tattoo looks intelligent. Oh, come up with something a little more original than clean my pipes, why don't you? Okay, take it away. Allie waved off the phone. Donnie could see circles under her eyes. The past few days' events had really taken a toll on her. It's been a long week. A massive steaming crapola week. The cameras, that psycho fan clone, Vivi missing, Felix stupidly taking off, Blythe and all the horrible press. I have half a mind to tell them we're going on hiatus. Never gonna happen. Producers said we need to push now for ratings. Well, the producers can eat turds and die, manipulative pricks. Uh, yeah, they're producers, Allie. Well, I don't care about ratings. That's not why I'm doing this. All I ever wanted since the exposure was to put a human face on the leaders, show them that we're not some weird pod people. We're like everyone else, and we're approachable. And that's what we're doing, honey. Yes, but now we're a little too approachable. A strange clone came right into our house and kissed you, Donnie. And what did our producers do? Grin like Cheshire cats. That's the opposite of what I wanted. They're using us as spectacle. And this fan club of yours is out of control. It's just feeding into the insanity. You have to shut down your accounts in the interest of the Sestras. Donnie's eye twitched. Shut down his accounts? For the Sestras? No, that wasn't going to change anything. And he had spent so much time on his bio, his posts, on his hashtags. And he was about to break 5,000 followers. I can manage them. Can you? What if I hadn't been there to alert you to the fact that you were kissing some other Lita? Honey, if anyone other than you tried to get up in my biz, I'd tell him to take a hike. What if it has happened more than once and you had no clue? Allie, I'd know if it wasn't you. List all the times we've kissed in the past three months. Go. Uh... It was an insane and impossible task, but he knew Allison would 100% expect him to do it. She'd probably even get him to put it in a spreadsheet. Donnie, we're in the public eye. People either love or hate clones. Helena's book tour was mopped. We can't just smile on TV and play nice anymore. We need to be prepared if something goes down. Alita could club you on the head and throw you into a van. We need protection. Honey, we agreed to stop carrying guns, remember? That's how you-know-who ended up you-know-where. Besides, nothing that serious has happened yet. Donnie couldn't bring himself to say leaky and garage floor. The memory of shooting, burying, and digging back up the former head of Dyad still made him feel like barfing. Thank God Helena had been sensible enough not to put that in her book. Oh, I'm not talking about guns, Donnie. We need to stop things before they get to that point. We need to be smart. Well, shutting down our accounts and putting the show on hiatus isn't smart. We're, we're losing our voice at a crucial time. We're losing our control in the media. No... It's too risky. What if some clone bimbo walks through our door again? Safe word. If I'm not sure it's you, I'll say, uh, cake time, and you say, banoffee, my favorite cake. If it's you, I'll eat you right up. If not, I'll say, adios, sister, and we can carry on with the show until things get really hairy. Hmm. Losing public influence right now isn't in our interest. No, it's not. And if you're certain it's me, you'll eat me up? I sure will. Banoffee. The moon shone down on Blythe as she strutted around the amphitheater stage like she was giving a TED talk. Messengers, 
We are here to tell the other sisters we belong. To make space for our sisters in the world. We will not sit silently, believing we are inferior. We will not wait for laws to protect us. We are advocates for our sisters. We are here to tell our story. A story that demands respect, compassion, and justice. From afar, Felix watched the zombie-like followers soak up Blythe's every word. He felt the onset of an acne breakout at the thought of being pinned between Lita's and lookalikes, so he lurked in the back and scanned the crowd for Vivi. He had to suppress gasps as his eyes flitted over clone wannabes. Some used clever contour makeup. Others went far more permanent, semi-successful surgical methods to look like Lita's. He spotted Vivi sitting with the clone that believed he had befouled a vaginal steam chair. I'll end with today's mantra. Messengers walk in the light. They bring words of healing, actions for peace, and the promise of a world-changing evolution. Thank you, everyone. Now let's celebrate by nurturing our bodies. What the hell does that mean? The crowd filed out of the amphitheater in eerie silence. He looked around for Vivi. She had been about to tell him what they were going to do next before they were interrupted. Scanning faces for her, he allowed himself to be swept along, politely smiling and nodding to cult members despite the knot starting to twist in his stomach. The throng filed out to the giant terrace suspended in a green gorge. Giant paper lanterns floated in the air. In the fading light, Felix could make out waterfalls cascading down the cliff face. Blythe's followers lined up around long tables loaded with dozens of elaborate vegetarian dishes. Wandering the terrace, he spotted Vivi sitting in a large sunken couch with about 30 other clones, chatting away without a care in the world. Blythe was with them, distinguishable only by her billowing pants and tiny linen crop top that showed off her yoga body. He realized the Litas weren't eating with the non-clones. There was an island hierarchy. Fee drifted around the clone VIP area, attempting to catch Vivi's eye, but it seemed like she was actively ignoring him. He needed to talk to her in private. Softening his face to look as serene as possible, he glided over to the clone ringleader. A non-clone cultist standing near them stopped him. Sorry, they're having a private chat. Oh, I only want to mention something to Blythe. I can pass a message along for you. I'll meet her at 9am tomorrow to start painting. Felix turned away. He'd have to think of a way to approach Vivi, preferably when eyes weren't on them. One hour later, Fee was surprised to find a note on his bed. Yoga deck, beach, 3 a.m. Somehow, Vivi had evaded the eyes. When everything was dead quiet, he slunk out of his room. Knowing the place was covered in hidden cameras, he made it look like he was simply wandering to the beach to look at the moon and meditate. He sat in the sand, eyes closed for 10 minutes. 20, 30, 40. Where the hell is she? Maybe everything she had said was a lie. You could never tell with these intelligence types. Finally, Vivi appeared. 
Hey, I guess you're on island time. Sorry, couldn't escape. Blythe held back all the clones for a special debrief. Felix shuffled down the beach after her. Did she reveal anything telling? Just more vague messengers have higher purpose crap. So, are you gonna get fired for this? What? Ah, oh, come on, Vivi. Bullshitters smell bullshitters. You're not here officially. Arud wouldn't have contacted us. I'd say you're moonlighting as a claimed vigilante, quite literally. He pointed to the moon. Vivi rolled her eyes. No, I'm not here officially. I came because... Blythe had an offer for me. An offer? A job. Running security for her and the island, teaching self-defense. You're working for a cult leader? No, the interview isn't over. And really, I'm interviewing her. Sort of. Okay, fine. I fucked up. I should never have come here. They benched me at Langley, and this place was... Something other than a desk in a windowless room. I came here to see what might be out there for me, and ended up investigating someone anyway. Ah, uh, you're on the outside. I lived there for a while, but you need to trust me when I say a cult of personality is not where you want to be. At some point, this island is going to tear itself apart. I know, but the more I see of this place, the more I realize I can't just leave. Coming here was a stupid mistake, but leaving without knowing what Blythe plans to do with all these women? If something goes south, it will haunt me the rest of my life. Vivi turned off the beach and led him down a forested path. They slunk past a circle of dark bungalows to a courtyard lined with communal workspaces. At the back stood a 10-foot fence. As they walked up to it, Felix saw that the gate in the center of it was locked by an electric keypad. What's this? No idea. No one seems to want to show me. Give me a boost. With some effort, Felix hoisted her onto the fence. She dangled her hands down toward him. Okay, hold on tight. I may not look it, but I weigh twice as much as you do. Your arms will tear off, darling. Do it or I leave you here. God, she was like Sarah. This whole scenario was like a flashback to their street urchin days of mayhem and mischief. To avoid an argument, he let Vivi haul him over the fence, which, to his surprise, she did with ease. On the other side sat a cinderblock building with a padlocked door. Fee searched in the dark, found two pieces of old steel rebar. He angled the bars in the U of the lock. What are you doing? Drawing on years of experience. You'll wake everyone up. Get off my dick and let me work, please. He pushed them in opposite directions until the lock popped off. Vivi looked genuinely impressed as he swung the door open. There were rows of shelves filled with freeze-dried foods, first aid kits, tools, camping gear, and small generators. Vivi inspected lockers lining the walls. They held dozens of shotguns, rifles, handguns, ammo cans, knives, and crossbows. Prep a paradise. Vivi examined racks of black tactical clothing. This isn't just prepping. This place is stocked for a militia. At a desk in the back, Felix leafed through logbooks detailing every resident's strengths and weaknesses in hand-to-hand -hand combat. There were schedules for firearm and knife fighting classes. A stack of files listed offenders around the world that had committed some form of violation toward either a specific clone or the leaders in general. Domestic abuse, slander, cyberbullying, abandonment, theft. The crimes were varied, and a messenger was assigned to visit justice on each target. One name caught Felix's eye. 
He held the file out to Vivi. Look. Derek Billings, violations, physical abuse, psychological abuse, verbal abuse, online harassment, death threats, penalty, execution by shooting. Messenger assigned Shannon Billings, former spouse. Oh my God, I was training Shannon for a strike team. You were what? Blythe had me running self-defense classes, small arms training, hand-to-hand combat. I thought I was teaching these women how to protect themselves, but she wants to make them assassins, damn it. How could I be so stupid? We need to warn the authorities. How? They took my phone. Somehow. Blythe communicates with her assistant, Natalie, across the island. There must be phones somewhere. They rummaged through bins and drawers. At the bottom of one, he found a hard-shell protective case containing a satellite phone. (gasps) Vivi, we've got to take it out! Felix dialed Sarah's number. The phone flashed an alert. No signal. Ugh, the concrete walls must be too thick. Leaving Vivi to continue searching through the bunker, Felix wandered out into the dark, watching the screen for bars. Still none. After a few minutes, the tiny satellite icon lit up. He quickly dialed Sarah's number again. Who's that? Sarah, I'm with Vivi on the island. I'm going to strangle you. Listen, listen. I don't know how long I've got before the satellites move. Blythe's armed to the tits out here and she's got a hit list. She's got a hit list? Yes, we think she's going after anyone who's even so much as offended a clone and... Felix stopped. Something was wrong. Fee, you there? Sarah? I think... A hand closed over the phone, ripping it out of Felix's grasp. He looked up to see Blythe, who looked ready to tear him limb from limb. She signaled. Someone behind Fee grabbed and twisted his arm, bending him into submission. Oh, holy hell! Felix heard a voice through the pain. If you resist, it'll only hurt more. It was Vivi. You're listening to Orphan Black, The Next Chapter, starring Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Guevaris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brun. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Orphan Black, The Next Chapter, Season 2, is executive produced by Tatiana Maslany and stars Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brun. Based on the television series Orphan Black, produced by Boat Rocker Studios. Written by Melka Older, Madeline Ashby, Helly Kennedy, E.C. Myers, and Lindsay Smith. And produced 
by Marco Palmieri and Haley Wagreich. Associate produced by Nicole Otto and Diana Foe. And executive produced by Molly Barton, AMC Networks, and David Fortier, Ivan Schneeberg, and Jessica Shadlock of Boat Rocker. Performed by Tatiana Maslani, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, Christian Brune, Alyssa Zia, Vikas Adam, Taya Garland, Hudson Mako, Stephanie Shea, Daniel Bonjour, Stephanie Frame, Tiana Camacho, Kimberly Marable, and Nathaniel Kwaku. Directed and produced by Kaylin West. Sound design by Rory O'Shea. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Musical theme performed by Two Fingers and composed by Amin Tobin. Music composed by Trevor Yule.